Well, thank you, people. I, I mean, you are so brave. You got here on a Saturday morning. I mean, and you got this strange old woman, some kind of old subcontinental in a sari, who's going to talk to you about sex. I mean, are you brave or what? I think forget honoring me. I think you should be honoring yourself for taking that chance. On the other hand, I mean, who doesn't like to have a Saturday morning with a woman who represents the Kama Sutra, right? Because after all, I am Sri Lankan. That's close to India, and so you know, we wrote the Kama Sutra. So, although we are not going to talk about sex position, not this session. Maybe the next session. So come with the questions for the marriage seminar on that. Okay, so just to give you a little quickie as to who I am, because um, you know most of you are wondering. I, you know my name. I was born in Sri Lanka in the tea plantations of Sri Lanka, and I grew up there. My grandparents were converted. My grandfather's name was Rasa Yamutuelu Ratnam, and the wonderful Welsh missionary who converted him decided that was so pagan, so he changed it to Roberts. So I grew up as Patricia Roberts. <sighs> How Welsh could you get in Sri Lanka in the 1950s? So yep, I was born 71 years ago, and I went to medical school in Sri Lanka, and I did my I was teaching at the medical school and I did my postgraduate study in Hawaii. That was where I got into sex. It's a great place to get into sex. I would highly recommend it. And at that time, at that time my um, I was already married and I had a three-year-old son, so I must have known something about it. But my professor was a sexologist. And um, if you're wondering what a sexologist is, it basically is somebody who studies about sex, reads about sex, researches about sex, teaches about sex, writes about sex, does sex therapy, doesn't leave much time for practical work. My son says that's why he's an only child. And so... After studying in Hawaii, at which point I was worshipping in a wonderful Baptist church, I, I say that that time is what I credit my twin passions of God and sex to. So I bring the wonder of God's word to the real understanding of how our created goodness of sex is. And also how much in our world we have twisted that good message and that goodness of God's creation. So, then I went back to Sri Lanka for six years. I worked in medical school there. I was the only sex therapist in the country. It was very busy with 20 million population. And 30 years ago, we moved. I love you. You are so responsive. So, I, 30 years ago, my husband and son and I moved to Australia. My son is um, now went through university and did all sorts of things, but finally ended up as a Presbyterian minister. My son, uh, my husband was an engineer with the fire department, and now we are both retired and wandering the country talking about sex. Isn't that a lovely way to spend your retirement? Definitely recommended for retirement activities. So, so what are we going to talk about today? Can I have the start of slide? Thank you. So what we're going to talk about today is about 
What are we looking for? What is this sexual integrity? How are we living it? As a culture, where are our people, the culture we live in, here in the mountains where you are or wherever you are working, what is this search for happiness and fulfillment and contentment and identity? Are we looking to career? Are we looking to power? Are we looking to wealth? Increasingly, sexual satisfaction and sexual identity have become the source of both personal identity as well as fulfillment and happiness. People are saying, people, the people around you, you will see expressed, I am my sexuality and I cannot, I will not be happy till I fulfill that which I desire sexually. Now, next slide. From the time gone by, even in the Old Testament, people have tried to live their life their way rather than God's way. We sang about it. We are surrounded by God's love. We just heard the word of God that says we are looking for that primary relationship, the vertical relationship with God, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. You are here because you recognize that unless that vertical relationship is right, we will not work out the horizontal relationship with our brothers and sisters. So even in the Old Testament, when God said, speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me and they have dug their own cisterns. Today, it is like looking into a toilet cistern and saying, I don't want the water that God gives. Rather, I'll take a teaspoon from the toilet cistern. After all, what harm can it do me? It's only a taste, isn't it? Look, I'm a doctor. You can get a lot from just one teaspoon of toilet cistern water. You just need a couple of those bugs in you. So the reality is, this is the world we live in, even from the Old Testament. And Jesus was very clear when he said, I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you won't go hungry. You, you sang about it. We are surrounded, but what are we surrounded? By the love of God. But we turn away. And instead of looking to God, that vertical, to feed our thirst and our hunger, we look towards the temporary high of searching for thirst in the toilet cisterns of this world and from that crumb of bread that is in the in the trash bins will it bring lasting happiness never it may bring a tiny bit of a high i mean a temporary orgasm i mean how can you have a temporary orgasm okay never mind but an orgasm i mean look it's how long does it last a minute if you're lucky but <laughs> the reality is it ain't going to last looking for happiness and contentment and identity anywhere other than the word of God and God's word. What does this mean for Christians? How do we live a life of integrity in this super-sexualized culture that tells us, look, come to me, as Satan said. Surely God didn't say you shouldn't try a little bit of water, a little bit of crumb. Surely God didn't say God is a killjoy. Listen to me, says the seduction of our culture. How do we understand this cultural narrative we live in? I want to give you the sort of 101 on our culture today. 
There was a time a few years ago when we talked of what we call post-modernity. Post-modernity is this few years ago culture that said there is no objective truth. You can make up your truth and I'll make up my truth and it's all relative. For you young ones, you might appreciate the term you do you. And that's the culture we were in a few years. I love it when the young ones actually recognize it. And so there is no objective truth. It's relative. Relativism, we call it. And there is what we call an individualistic ideology. This is says, it's my life. It's my choice. I can choose what I want to do, whether it be in sex or in anything else. So there was, I choose. Now, today, we have actually moved a little further down. And we are in what we call a post-truth culture. You will recognize this. This is a culture that says, you know, there may be a truth, but I don't care. I don't care about truth because my desires and my feelings are all that matter. And so I will do what I desire. My perceptions, my desire is what matters. I live by a morality of self-fulfillment. And that is all that is going to make me happy. My body, my feelings will rule everything I do. And this is my version of sexual or otherwise integrity and... Don't you dare challenge it. So whether it be whom I have sex with or what I do with my life or even if I want to change my body to be whatever I want, don't you dare challenge it, especially if you're a Christian. You are homophobic, transphobic, bigoted and basically evil and I will silence you. This, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, is the world we are living in. And so I want to explore with you a little bit about the science and the culture when it comes to desire and love and sexual intimacy. And I want to challenge you that you will leave today with an understanding of God's glorious cosmic pattern for good sex and relationship. And that you will be empowered to both live it and speak it to the world. So that the world will look at you and say, what have they got that we don't have? And that we will finally draw people to the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's start, next slide, with desire. Always a good place to start. What is desire? Some of you may be sitting here going, I know what desires. Let's finish this and get home. Then I know what desires. <laughs> Others are going, sexual desire, I might recognize it if I trip over it on my way home. But the reality is that initially it is in your brain. Sometimes we say the biggest sex organ is between your ears, not between your legs. And that is true when it comes to desire. Desire is based on a whole 
mix of chemicals, but mainly testosterone, which starts bubbling in your brain when you reach puberty. Now, there are some of you who are young enough to remember puberty. Others have to think back, puberty, what was that? But anyway, in those teen years, when sex became something that kind of took over your thinking. And since then, testosterone keeps your desire bubbling along. Men have about 20 times more than women. We'll talk about that in the next session. So, just a teaser. And anyway, so it varies between people and age and it waxes and wanes. Like I said, some of you are like rearing to go and others are like, well, whatever. And it is a wanting. That's, stick with that word, a wanting. Now, what about in our post-truth culture? What are we hearing? What we are hearing that nothing is a want. Any desire is a need and a right. Therefore, whatever I desire sexually is a need, not a want. Wantings are something that are nice to have. You may be sitting here going, I really want chocolate. But you won't die if you don't get chocolate. But if there are some things that if you never get, like food or water, you might die. And so, therefore, our world says anything you desire, remember, we live by desires and feelings. It's my right. So, all desires are a right. I must have my desires gratified, fulfilled. God is a killjoy when he tries to stop me from having what I desire. So, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we as Christians who read the word of God, recognize that our hearts are not naturally aligned to what God wants for us, for our good. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, that is a counter-cultural message to our world today. In a world that says, do whatever you desire, we say, the Bible says, our hearts are not to be counted on. In a world that says, follow your heart. Don't you love that picture of a heart leading the brain? We say, listen to God's word. And we can see that there, how Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things. What does your heart say? So I'm married for 45 years. So I see this gorgeous, better model out there. And I go, oh, that guy's got great biceps. Mm, nah, I got my old model at home watching rugby. I better get home to him. He's used to those, so that's okay. So you see, we don't let our desires... So I'm not getting enough, no, that's, um, I am, but I'm not getting enough sex at home, so maybe I should watch a little porn. Do we follow those desires? No, we turn our mind around and we listen to the word of God. As Jesus says, for out of your heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we cannot get this strongly enough. We do not live by our desires because Jesus is the one who teaches us. The Bible tells us you are not autonomous selves. You are belong, you belong to God. You belong to Jesus. He came and died for you. He gives you that role model. He's your teacher. The code you live by is the word of God. 
not the narrative of the toilet cistern and the trash bins of the world. See, that is desire in this world, and we will talk more about that in marriage in terms of its relationship to marriage. Now, there is one couple of areas that are particularly significant, next slide, when it comes to desire. And I want to just basically touch on those. Firstly, we talk of the lust of the flesh in 1 John chapter 2. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but, uh, the, not from, the Father, but from the world. Pornography, now I don't have time to go into this in detail, but please ask questions because this is such an important area. It's anything that is sexually created, sexually to titillate and arouse. It may be on your iPhone, comic books, television, everywhere. Average age of porn exposure, first porn exposure in Australia is 11 years and dropping. Most 100% of young men have had some exposure to pornography. 60% and rising of women are either tempted or currently using pornography. Pornography, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, it takes over your brain it what we call reframes, sensitizes, reframes your thinking at a brain level. We call this neuroplasticity. In other words, your brain gets adapted, rewired to think of the fantasy deviant pornography as normal sex and after a while especially in the church you recognize it as wrong you hide it you are ashamed just like Adam after the fall when God said where are you he said I was hiding because I have sinned and I'm ashamed we hide we are ashamed and it takes over our mind and makes us treat people as a commodity. If you ask me questions, this is such an important area. It affects your relationship with each other, but above all, it will affect your relationship with God because you are turning away from the word of God and how God wants you to live your life. It affects your dating, it affects your family, it even affects your basic sexual function. Men who watch pornography basically find it hard to function sexually. And your desire for your partner goes down. So, fortunately, this very neuroplasticity that causes it can be reversed. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen. Again, please ask me a question. Now... This is countercultural. God says, I give you a pattern, which we will look at. The world says, follow me and do what you desire. You want sex? Here's a quickie version of getting what you want. Your courtship takes time. You've got to court someone. You've got to take them out for a date. Porn says, one click or one swipe, and you can get anything you want. That's one. The second big issue, and again, I'm happy to take questions, is the commodification of our body in the transgender ideology. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the Bible is clear. Your created body is meant to be what God made it. 
There is a goodness in the reality of your created body. Go and have a good look in the full-length mirror in your bathroom. Take your clothes out and have a good look. You know, at 71, it ain't a good look (laughs) because gravity has come into play. But, but, that is what God wants you to be. That is how God has created you. 1 Corinthians 6 says, you know, your body belongs to Jesus. Your body is the home of the Holy Spirit. Honor God with your body. Psalm 139, King David says, you knit me in my mother's womb. You think mommy and daddy were knitting? (laughs) They were having the best sex ever when you were formed. Mom didn't even know till about six weeks later when she started puking all over that you were in there. But God knew. You see, God means your body. Teach your children this. It is so important because we live in a transgender ideology world and now I'm giving you the two-hour talk in one minute. So look at those words there. Transgender, transgender, gender fluid, non-binary, intergender, cisgender, bigender, trigender, polygender, genderqueer, pangender. These are only some terms of the 70-plus terms on Facebook and Instagram. Anyone recognize yourself in any of those words? I'm looking at the young ones because they'll get it. Are you? Any of that? No? Oh, my darling people. Well, you are what the transgender ideology would call cisgender. Anyone heard of that? It hasn't come to the mountains yet. Okay. (laughs) We're only just letting it out of Parramatta, I think, right now. Cisgender is a term given to people whose brain feeling of who they are is in keeping with what their body is. So I think I'm a woman and wow, I looked in the mirror and yep, everything's there for a woman. Not quite the way it was 50 years ago, but it's there. And so my brain and my body are congruent. You know, my brothers and sisters in Christ, you know what we've done now? The transgender ideology has just made that one choice. So if you feel like that, oh, you can call yourself a cisgender. But, you know, it's only one of a spectrum. Can you see where we are moving? So you can ask me more questions on that. Next slide. So let's talk then about love. Ah, love. For those of you who are in love, have been in love, dreaming about the time you were in love, oh, isn't that just something, you know? That moment you were sitting in church, you were sitting at a meeting, she was there. And you had that heart palpitating, pupil dilating, sweating in the middle of winter feeling. Remember that? You wanted her by your side in your arms in your bed as soon as possible. I mean, you know, it was just a chemical cocktail in your brain. Led by a chemical we call dopamine, which I love that we scientists called it that. Because it basically makes you dopey. Falling in love is the dopiest thing you will ever do in your life. You know, just throw your mind back. 
other chemicals. Serotonin levels go down. Same thing that happens in obsessive compulsive behavior. It's amazing. Falling in love. Come back for the marriage one and we'll talk more about that. The wonder, the wonder is that fortunately it doesn't last for more than about 18 months to 24 months. Fortunately, because otherwise if you're married 20, 45 years like we are and I palpitate every time I look at my husband, I'll be increasing my high blood pressure medication every other day. So fortunately, it passes, that craziness passes by. But during the craziness, you are under the influence. So all you ones who are in love or planning to fall in love, remember that you need help when you are under the influence. You see, in our self-gratification world, what we are seeing is that love equals sex. So if I love you, it really means I want to have sex with you. And if I don't have sex, then there's something wrong with me. I can never be fulfilled. How can I be happy unless I have sex? What does it say about all our single brothers and sisters? What does it say about our Lord Jesus Christ? Like he's sitting in heaven by God's right hand and going, Oh, I am so sad. I didn't have sex when I was on earth. Hello, what is this? What are we saying? I've been a doctor for almost 50 years, a sexologist for over 40. I've seen people die of lack of food and medication and healthcare. Not one empirically reported case of death by lack of sex. Not one. People die by having sex and catching something. Nobody ever died of not having sex. But in today's world, we have objectified the body and we seek sexual satisfaction to be happy. So let's look at God's plan. Next slide. So what has God got to say about it? My dear brothers and sisters, we need to get this clear. Desire and love are from God. He created it and he gives us a pattern, a place and a purpose for it. God's good designs, just like any good thing, comes with a use it like this. Use with care warning. This is why we will never find it in the toilet cisterns and the trash bins but in God's way. Come with me to the Garden of Eden. God says, let us make man in our image. Who says us? God, Holy Spirit, Jesus. Right there, we are created for relationships. That's why the conference is called Connections. You knew that. God said, you're created for relationships. And yes, Marriage and sex is an important relationship. But other relationships, this is why. Love God and love your brothers and sisters. But you cannot love your brothers and sisters unless you have your vertical relationship. Right. So we are created for relationships. And for all you single people, your relationships as friends and as brothers and sisters in the church are just as important as the relationships in marriage. Then God said, Adam, you know, he was having fun, furry animals, beautiful flowers. He wasn't lonely, but God said, Adam, you're alone. Take a little nap, will you? And he snuck away a bit of his rib, and then he brings Eve. Oh, 
she gorgeous, no Botox, no boob job. You know, this is pre-fall in the Garden of Eden. And God brings him and Adam opens his eyes. Isn't that the best blind date ever? I mean, the first blind date in creation. And he has one look at her. Desire, Garden of Eden. Bone of my bone. Flesh of my flesh. The most beautiful girl I've ever seen. It helped me. Never seen another one. But, I mean, it was like, wow, you are like me. But, whoa, yeah, it matters. You are so different. And that was desire and love. And God says to Adam and Eve, you know, pre-fall, he says, get out there, you know, multiply, fill the earth. He wasn't saying do mathematics. He was saying, I've given you this beautiful complementary body, especially your genitals. I've made them fun. Come back for the marriage seminar. We'll talk more about the fun. And I have created it for you to help me in this creation job of making babies. And so we have the marriage as naked and no shame. That's the relationship. Nakedness complete vulnerability, no 